ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد today then we're moving on to the next narration still on the same chapter regarding the throne of Allah, regarding al-istiwa, regarding Allah being above. Imam al-Bukhari says, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدَانَ عَنَ بِحَمْزَةَ عَنِ الْأَعْمَشَ عَنْ جَامِعِ بْنِ شَدَّادَ عَنْ صَفْوَانِ بْنِ مِحْرِزَ عَنِ مَرَانِ بْنِ حُسَيْنَ قَالَ إِنِّي عِنْدَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ إِذْ جَاءَهُ قَوْمٌ مِنْ بَنِي تَمِيمٍ فقال اقبلوا البشرى يا بني تميم قالوا بشرتنا فأعطنا فدخل ناس من أهل اليمن فقال اقبلوا البشرى يا أهل اليمن إذ لم يقبلها بنو تميم قالوا قبلنا جئناك لنتفقه في الدين ولنسألك عن أول هذا الأمر ما كان قال كان الله ولم يكن شيء قبله وكان عرشه على الماء ثم خلق السماوات والأرض وكتب في الذكر كل شيء ثم أتاني رجل فقال يا عمران أدرك ناقتك فقد ذهبت فانطلقت أطلبها فإذا السراب ينقطع دونها ويم الله لوددت أنها قد ذهبت ولم أقم This حديث يناذن narrated by عمران بن حسين he says that while I was with the Prophet وسلم, some people from Bani Tamim came to him. The Prophet وسلم, said, O Bani Tamim, accept the glad tidings. They said, you have given us the good news. Now give us something. After a while, some Yemenites entered from Yemen. And he said to them, O oh, the people of Yemen, accept the glad tidings as Bani Tamim have refused it. They said, We accept it, for we have come to you to learn the religion. So we ask you what the beginning of this universe was. We ask you what the beginning of this universe was. The Prophet said, There was Allah and nothing else before him. There was Allah and nothing else before him. And his throne was over the water. And he then created the heavens and the earth and wrote everything in the book. Then a man came to me and said, Oh Imran, follow your she-camel, for it has run away. 
So I set out seeking it, and behold, it was beyond the mirage. By Allah, I wish that it, my she-camel, had gone, but that I had not left the gathering. This narration now, it has the story behind it, how Bani Tamim, they came, and the people of Yemen, they came. But the purpose behind Al-Imam Al-Bukhari quoting it here, is those lines in the middle when they ask the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam what was the beginning of the universe? And so the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told them what? When they asked him what was the beginning of the universe? The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told them there was Allah and there was nothing else before him because we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always was and there was nothing before him and will always be and nothing after him so he was and there was nothing else and his throne was above the water and then Allah wrote all of what is to occur into the book that is referring to some of the other narrations that highlight how the decree was written 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth in the narration where it mentions or several different narrations where it talks about that one of the narrations it mentions قبل أن يخلق السماوات والأرض بخمسين ألف سنة وكان عرشه على الماء that Allah wrote down the decree of everything مقادير كل شيء before the creation of the heavens and the earth by 50,000 years before even the creation of the heavens and the earth by 50,000 years all of the decree was written all of that which is to occur then you have also in the other narration where Allah says or it's mentioned in the hadith أَوَّلَ مَا خَلَقَ اللَّهُ الْقَلَمُ قَالَ لَهُ أُكْتُبْ قَالَ لَهُ أُكْتُبْ قَالَ مَا أُكْتُبْ مَاذَا أُكْتُبْ قال اكتب كل ما هو كائن إلى يوم القيامة When Allah created the pen Allah said to it write The pen said what shall I write Allah said everything that is going to happen up until the day of judgment So in that moment all of that decree was written and it's on that issue incidentally that the scholars therefore differ over what was the first thing created. Was it the throne of Allah or was it the pen? Because in the narration it says, Awwal ma khalaq Allahu al-qalam. Is it awwalu ma khalaq Allahu al-qalam? Or is it awwala ma khalaq Allahu al-qalam? All of it will make a difference. 
regarding what it means? So that is a difference of opinion. Was it the pen or the throne of Allah? Because in these narrations you can see it says all of the decree was written and his throne was above the water. Seemingly indicating that when the decree was written the throne was already there. But in the other narration it says أول ما خلق الله القلم in certain types of i'rab it can be understood the first thing allah created was the pen in other forms of the i'rab it would indicate when the pen was created the first thing that it was told to do so it doesn't tell you when the pen was created it just says whenever it was created the first thing upon it was that it was told to write the decree and that's why many of the scholars do take the opinion that the first thing was actually the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here it mentions that when they said what was the beginning of the universe, the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told them there was Allah and there was nothing before him and his throne was above the water. Water, we briefly mentioned this in a lesson previously. You have all of this creation, you have the seven heavens, and then above all of that you have this water, and then above that is the throne, the ceiling of creation. So, as Shaykh al-Ithameen, he mentions here now, the point here we need to understand as Shahid, قَوْلُهُ وَكَانَ عَرْشُهُ عَلَى الْمَاءِ that his throne was above the water. هَذَا شَاهِدُ التَّرْجَمَةِ فِيهِ مِمَّا يَنْبَعِ الْكَلَامُ عَنْهُ جَاءَ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ قَوْمٌ مِنْ بَنِي تَمِيمِ فَقَالْ اِقْبَلُ الْبُشْرَى يَا بَنِي تَمِيمِ قَالُوا بَشَّرْتَنَا فَأَعْطِنَا نَاسٌ يُرِيدُونَ الدُّنْيَا فَمَعْنَا قَوْلِهِمْ بَشَّرْتَنَا وعرفنا ما عندك لكن أعطنا ولهذا جاء النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم هذا ردا منهم للبشرى ولما دخل أهل اليمن قال اقبلوا البشرى يا أهل اليمن إذ لم يقبلها بنو تميم لأنهم قالوا بشرتنا فأعطنا فكأنهم جاءوا للعطايا والمال ولكن لا يعني هذا أنه لا يوجد خير في بني تميم فبنو تميم فيهم خير لو كان لو لم يكن فيهم إلا أنهم أشد الناس على الدجال كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم هم أشد أمة على الدجال وكل قبيلة وكل أمة فيها خير وفيها شر والخير قد يكون عاما وقد يكون خاصا وكذلك الشر الشيخ الأثمين gives the background to this hadith how some people from Banu Tamim one of those tribes they came and the Prophet ﷺ said to them, take the glad tidings. They said, we know of the glad tidings, but give us something. Meaning that they were requesting something of the worldly affairs. And so the Prophet ﷺ considered that as having rejected the glad tidings. And so when the people of Yemen came, they were told regarding the glad tidings after them. That doesn't mean, as Shaykh Al-Athameen says, that Banu Tamim had no good in them, they were wanting the worldly affairs, no. In another narration it mentions some of the virtues of them, that one of their virtues is of Banu Tamim, that they will be the most severe upon the Dajjal, 
mentioned in a narration, Ashaddu Ummati ala Dajjal, the most severe upon the Dajjal will be Banu Tamim. So every people have their goodness in them. Thumma qal, so when the people of Yemen, they came in, and eventually they say, that we've come to learn about the religion, they haven't come to pick up any worldly goods or anything, they have come to learn of the religion, قَالُوا جِئْنَا لِنَتَثَقَّهْ فِي الدِّينِ يعني لم يقولوا جئنا للعطاء بل جاءوا للعلم They came for knowledge. And that is something known in those days. Imagine the Prophet ﷺ was in Medina. And all of the people from the tribes from different distant lands, they used to come. Not all of them, but they used to send delegations. So imagine now the Prophet ﷺ in Medina and in the lands of Palestine and Jordan and other more distant regions where Islam was slowly becoming known and spreading. Maybe not as far as that in those days, but to the outer regions. From those outer regions and outer tribes, when they became Muslim, not all of them would come to Medina to meet the Prophet ﷺ. Islam would spread to them, but they would send delegations from amongst them who would come and learn and study and go back and teach their people who had become Muslim in those more distant areas from Medina. That's why you end up with the people known as the ones who were alive at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Muslims died upon Islam, but they never met the Prophet ﷺ, and they are called Al-Muhadramun, those Muslims who were alive at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. But they never actually got to go and meet the Prophet ﷺ. So when they came and they began to ask about knowledge, and they said, Their question was, what was the beginning of the universe? How was the beginning of everything? How was, what was the beginning of all of this? مَا أَوَّلُ الدُّنْيَا What was the beginning of this earth? مَا أَوَّلُ الْخَلْقِ What was the beginning of this creation? كَيْفَ نَشَأَتِ الدُّنْيَا How did this world develop and progress? كَيْفَ نَشَأَتِ السَّمَاوَاتِ How were those skies created and come about? كَيْفَ نَشَأَتِ الْأَرْضَ All of this earth, how did it develop? فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ so the Prophet ﷺ said to them, كَانَ اللَّهُ وَلَمْ يَكُنْ شَيْءٌ قَبْلَهُ That there was Allah. In the beginning of it all, there was Allah. And there was nothing before Him. كَانَ اللَّهُ وَلَمْ يَكُنْ شَيْءٌ قَبْلَهُ فَهُوَ الْأَوَّلُ الَّذِي لَيْسَ قَبْلَهُ شَيْءٌ he is therefore the first. There is nothing before him. And that is something known. That is something known. 
That is a grammatical point. Kana indicates something in a time zone. Of course, here it is Maslubatu Dilala. It is, who wants to translate that? Maslubatu Dilala. Maslubatu Dilala, what do you think? That's very good, mashallah. Stripped. Stripped is the word I was going to use too. Stripped. It's been stripped of its evidence. Meaning, it doesn't apply here. The normal meaning of kana indicating a time zone, that's not applicable because there is no such thing as a time zone in that regard for Allah. Allah always was and always is. So it is stripped of that. And that is something you see in the Quran too. Don't you see? Allahu Such and such, such and such. So was Allah only those matters in the past? Of course not. So in those cases, the kana doesn't mean and doesn't have the meaning of past tense. Or wuqoo al-khabar fil madi as they say. It doesn't have that in that case. فَهُوَ عَزَّ وَجَلْ لَمْ يَزَلْ وَلَا يَزَلْ مَوْجُودًا Allah has always been there. Allah has always been there. Will always be there. وَالْعَقْلْ لَا يُدْرِكْ كَيْفَ كَانَ لِأَنَّهُ أَزَلِي لَا نِهَايَةٌ لِأَوَّلِهِ وَلَا غَايَةٌ هُوَ الْأَوَّلُ الَّذِي لَيْسَ قَبْلَهُ شَيْءٌ وَلَا تُعْمِلْ فِكْرَكَ كَيْفَ مَا هَذَا So Allah always was. And always will be. And you do not go beyond that. Anybody who starts to think beyond that, then you are going into realms, into areas that Allah has not commanded us to go into. When people sit there and start thinking, okay, Allah always was. And you start to think about that and the shaitan starts to whisper to you on that. Allah always was and there was nothing else. How? How? There was nothing else. What was it like? And it was just Allah. When a person starts going into that and puts his mind onto that, then the shaitan eventually starts whispering to you to the end result. It can't be. It can't be that there is a creator and, a, and Allah and it was just Allah and there was nothing else. That is what we've been told here. Allah is always and will always be. And that is it. Beyond that now, then it is the shaitan attempting to take you down a path where you will eventually want to disregard the belief in Allah. In a'malta fikraka fasatasilu ila nuqtah if you start going down that route, then you will eventually get to a point that the Prophet ﷺ has told you what to do regarding it. The treatment for it. He told us that people say, what is this and how are the mountains and how is the sky and where did it come from and where did this happen and you keep going back and back and back 
until they begin to say so Allah you say there is Allah who created all of this creation so who created Allah that's where they take you to that is the path you go down who created the mountains how did this happen how did that back and back and back so it is the creator Allah who created it all who created Allah then that is where the shaitan wishes to take you وَحِينَ إِذِنْ يَجِبُ أَنْ تَقِفَ وَتَقُولَ then in that case you need to stop right there and say Allahu Ahad قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ اللَّهُ الصَّمَدْ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدْ وَتَسْتَعِيذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ وَتَنْتَهِي عَنْ هَذِهِ التَّقْدِيرَاتِ كُلِّهَا In that case, if you go down that route and the shaitan starts making you think like that, that this earth, where did it come from? This universe, these planets, and you're thinking back and back, millions and billions of years as they tell you in science, and you're going back and back and back, and then you're imagining all of this nothingness now, there was nothing, and then there was Allah. But okay, what was before Allah? What was there before Allah? Who created Allah? That is where the shaitan wishes to take you. And that is where apostasy lands. So here the Prophet said, if those thoughts come to you, shaitan begins whispering like that to you, then stop and think regarding Surah Al-Ikhlas in the Quran, where Allah tells you, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ Say, that he is Allah Al-Ahad meaning Qul huwa Allahu Ahad say he is Allah the one say he is Allah the one Qul huwa Allahu Ahad Allahu Samad what does that mean? he is As-Samad Allahu Samad what is As-Samad? Anyone? Absolute? Self-sufficient? That's parts of the meanings. That Allah is self-sufficient, not in need of any of His creation. That Allah does not have any need whatsoever from anything in His creation. And that is why it is our aqidah that Allah created us without having any need for us, without having any need for our worship, without having any dependence or reliance or need from this creation. Do not think that Allah created us because He required something from us, that He was in need of something from us. No. Allah created us without any need or anything needed from us. And that's why it mentions in the authentic narrations, لَوْ كَانَ أَوَّلُكُمْ وَآخِرُكُمْ وَإِنْسَكُمْ وَجِنَّكُمْ عَلَىٰ أَتْقَىٰ قَلْبِ رَجْلٍ وَاحِدٍ مِنْكُمْ مَا زَادَ ذَلِكَ فِي مُلْكِ شَيْءٍ That if all of you from beginning to end, 
jinn and humans were upon the most righteous way, upon the most righteous heart from amongst you, pious, all of you, upon obedience, worshipping Allah, every single one, it would not increase the kingdom of Allah at all. And the opposite is true as well. لَوْ كَانَ أَوَّلُكُمْ وَآخِرُكُمْ وَإِنْسَكُمْ وَجِنَّكُمْ عَلَىٰ أَفْجَرِ قَلْبِ رَجْلٍ وَاحِدٍ مِنْكُمْ مَا نَقَصَ ذَلِكَ مِنْ عِنْدِي شَيْءٍ If all of you from the beginning to end, jinn and human, were transgressing against Allah upon the worst one, the heart of the worst one amongst you, upon disobedience to Allah, everyone, then that would not decrease the kingdom of Allah anything. It would not decrease anything from the kingdom of Allah. And that is the meaning of Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum. When you say Allahu La Ilaha, Allahu La Ilaha Illa Huwa Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum. Al-Hayyu, exactly what we're talking about here, Al-Hayyu, the alive, with the perfection of life. That Allah has the absolute perfection in life. He always was and always will be. Absolute perfection of life. Al-Hayy. Al-Qayyum. That Allah is the self-sufficient, not in need of anything from His creation. And the other meaning of Al-Qayyum alongside it, he, being self-sufficient, not in need, at the same time is the one who provides sufficiency for his creation. Provides the rizq and the sustenance for his creation. Al-Qayyum. And that's why some of the scholars hold the opinion that Al-Hayyu, Al-Qayyum is Al-Ism Al-A'zam. It is the greatest name of Allah. Names of Allah, Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum. The opinion of some of the scholars, it is Al-Ism Al-A'zam. Many of the scholars though, of course, hold the opinion that the name Allah is Al-Ism Al-A'zam. Because if you look at all of the narrations that talk about Al-Ism Al-A'zam, the greatest name of Allah, all of them indicate the name Allah somewhere or another. There is no single narration that tells you Al-Ismul A'adam is and then the name. Nothing like that. So it's a case of judging all of the narrations, looking at them, analyzing them to see what is the greatest name of Allah. When the scholars did that, they noticed all of the narrations that mention Al-Ismul A'adam, all of them somehow or another do have a link to the name Allah. And in the same analysis, they discovered that most of the narrations have a link to Al-Hayyul Qayyum. And that's why they are the two strongest opinions of what Al-Ismul A'zam is, Allah or Al-Hayyul Al-Qayyum. Even though scholars have mentioned many opinions about what Al-Ismul A'zam of Allah is, Al-Imam Al-Suyuti in one of his books mentioned 20 opinions. They say there are in fact 40 plus, approximately 40 opinions of the scholars as to what Al-Ismul A'zam is. Most of them are weak and they do not have strong basis to them. 
and the strongest is Allah or Al-Hayyul Qayyum. So here, As-Samad, one of its meanings can be similar to that, but there is another meaning mentioned by Ibn Kathir in the Tafsir and others of As-Samad. Close to the meaning of sustenance and provision, that As-Samad is the one whom all of the creation direct their needs to. As-Samad is the one who all of the creation direct their needs to. All of the creation calls upon him. All of the creation asks of him for their food and their drink and their needs and their sustenance and their rizq. So he is As-Samad, the one whereby all of the needs of the creation go to him. As-Samad. Lam yalid wa lam yulad is the key. That part means what? Lam yalid wa lam yulad. That he never... He does not beget and he was not begotten. So somebody translate that into English as well. He has no offspring and he has not come from offspring. That Allah did not beget, nor was he begotten, does not give birth, nor was he given birth to, does not have offspring, nor did he come from offspring. That Allah is one, unique. No partners, no father, no sons, no family. Doesn't work like that. Allah is one, single and unique. Allah samad lam yalid wa lam yulad wa lam yakullahu kufuwan ahad and that Allah does not have a kuf. What is that? An equal, a nadir, shabih. Allah does not have any equal, does not have any resemblance, does not have anyone in comparison. وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٍ Scholars mention that this surah, it is a refutation of Ahlul Kitab and the Mushrikun. A refutation of all of them. This one surah. How so? In particular with Lam Yalid Wa Lam Yulad, it refutes those who claim that Jesus, Isa السلام, is the Son of God, as they say. Refutes that. Lam Yalid Wa Lam Yulad. Refutes those who claim that Uzair is the Son of of God, as they say, refutes that, and refutes the mushrikun in their claim that, because the Christians claimed Jesus is the son of Allah, of God, as they say, and the Jews, some of them claimed that Uzair is the son of God, and the mushrikun, they used to claim that Allah has offspring too, they used to say that the angels are the daughters of Allah. So this surah refutes all of that, telling you Allah has no offspring, has no son, no daughter, no partner, no nothing. There is no comparison to Allah. And there are many narrations that talk about the virtues of Qul Allahu Ahad. There is the famous narration that this surah ta'adilu thuluth al-Qur'an that it is equal to a third of the Qur'an. 
How is it equal to a third of the Quran? This one surah. Allah Samad, Lam Yalid Walam Yulid, Olam Yakullahu Kufuan Ahad. That takes five seconds to read is equal to a third of the Quran, which is how many Jews? Ten Jews, because the full Quran is thirty Jews. Ten Jews, just like Al Imam al Bukhari in Taraweeh used to lead the prayer and read. Ten Jews every night. Ten Jews every night. Or in some of the narrations of some of the Salaf. Al-Imam al-Bukhari, he used to recite by himself once every three days and in the Taraweeh every night or something along the lines. If you read the narrations of the Salaf of Hamuch, they used to read in the, the Taraweeh prayer you certainly find some of them used to finish the Qur'an once every three days. And it was Al-Imam Al-Bukhari. He used to finish it every three days in Taraweeh. Ten juz every night. And Ramadan is coming in three, four weeks. So, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٍ is equivalent to a third of the Qur'an, but how? How is it equivalent to a third of the Qur'an? If somebody sits there reading 10 juz, which would take you a long time, and somebody sits there reading Qul Huwallahu Ahad, exactly the same? Is that the meaning of it being equivalent to a third of the Qur'an? Not just the rububiyah, you can say generally tawheed. The Qur'an when you look at the Qur'an in terms of topics, themes of the Qur'an, you could say generally, generally there are three main themes of the Qur'an, three main topics within the Qur'an. What are the three main topics of the Qur'an? One is obviously Tawheed of Allah, Worshipping Allah alone and abandoning all of the false deities and shirk and graves and idols. Tawheed, that is obviously one main topic of the Qur'an. What else could you say then as the second overall topic of the Qur'an throughout the ayat? Ahkam, what you may call the fiqh, about different fiqh issues, zakat, fasting, divorce, marriage, Mentioned in the Quran, various ayat. So there are ayat of the Quran that talk about what you may refer to as the fiqh types of issues, the rulings. Then you have a topic of the Quran also, generally again, that talks about the stories of the prophets and the nations that have gone by. Are there not stories about Ibrahim alayhi salam in the Quran? And Isa alayhi salam and Musa alayhi salam and the prophets and messengers and nations gone by, there are. So overall, generally, and there is a more detailed classification to it, but generally, topic of Tawheed, topic of rulings, ahkam, and topics of the stories of the nations gone by. So three overall topics. Each one of them is a third each one of them considered as a third of the Qur'an. 
Surah Al-Ikhlas, its topic, is there anything about the ahkam, fiqh? Anything about stories of the prophets who gone by? So the topic of this surah is exclusively on one third of the topics of the Quran, which is the topic of Tawheed. And in that way, it could be understood that Surah Al-Ikhlas equates to a third of the Quran, meaning it equals a third of the meanings of the Quran. Because a third of the meanings of the Quran in that general categorization are Tawheed. And this is purely upon Tawheed. It is therefore purely upon one third of the Quran's topics. That is one way the scholars have explained it. Ibn Taymiyyah mentioned that explanation and others. It's not really to be understood as if you sit there and recite Qul Allahu Ahad that your recitation is equal to the one who sits there and recites ten juz. That is not the meaning of it. Also there are other virtues mentioned about Qul Allahu Ahad. We did some of them before in Sifatul Salah. When we were doing about the Prophet's prayer described, there was a narration about the Imam. Well, there was, there's actually more than one narration about this, but there was one about the Imam in Masjid Quba that he used to pray and lead the prayer, the Imam. He used to lead the prayer, do the Fatiha, do some other part of the Quran, some Surah, some Ayah. And then at the end, before going into Ruku', he would always finish off with Qul huwa Allahu Ahad, Allahu Samad. Always at the end of every Raka'ah, then Allahu Akbar Ruku'ah. Every Raka'ah. Even if he recited other parts of the Quran at the end, he would always add on Qul huwa Allahu Ahad before going into Ruku'ah. So then the people in the congregation, in the Jama'ah, they said to him, how come? Every single raka'ah, that's what you do. What's going on? He said to them, you know what he said to them? You should because we did it. Huh? Before that. He said, look, this is what I do. I read al-ikhlas at the end of every raka'ah. Because as he explains in the narration, I love this surah. He said, that's how it is. If you want me to stay as the imam, okay. If you don't, I'll leave. Amongst the people, he was the best for the imam. He was the best for the imam. Reciter, Quran, etc. So they didn't want to remove him. They went to the Prophet wasallam, and told him that our imam, Every time he leads the prayer at the end, always So the Prophet said, go and ask him, why does he do that? When they went and asked him, he told them, it's because I love this surah. Because of its meanings of Tawheed, Ikhlas, Surah Al-Ikhlas. So when they went back and told the Prophet he said, his love of Surah Al-Ikhlas will enter him into paradise. His love for this Surah, his love for Tawheed. So that is Surah Al-Ikhlas. The point of that was, 
When the shaitan comes with those whisperings, who created this, who created that, who created that, and that, and that, and back, and back, and back, until, well, who created Allah then? Before Allah, who was there and how was there? If that occurs and those whisperings occur, then stop and remember this. قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ اللَّهُ الصَّمَدُ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ he, was not, he did not beget and nor was he begotten. No offspring and did not come from offspring. He was always there and nothing before him. And he will always be there and nothing after him. That is the belief of Ahlul Sunnah and that is what you need to stop and seek refuge in Allah with. And remember Surah Al-Ikhlas if those whisperings come upon you. So then it moves on and it mentions about the throne وَكَانَ عَرْشُهُ عَلَى الْمَاءِ هَلْ كَانَ ذَلِكَ قَبْلَ خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ أَمْ And the throne of Allah was upon the water. Was that before the creation of the heavens or after the creation of the heavens? We've already mentioned that was before the creation of the heavens. ثُمَّ خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ يعني كان قبل ثُمَّ خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَخَلْقُهَا مُبَيَّنٌ فِي الْقُرْآنِ مُجْمَلًا وَمُفَصَّلًا Then after that Allah created the heavens and the earth and that creation is mentioned in the Qur'an in some parts generalized and in some parts in detail. وَقَوْلُهُ وَكَتَبَ فِي الذِّكْرِ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ that Allah wrote in a dhikr everything. A dhikr is referring to what? Allah wrote down everything in the dhikr. Allah al mahfuz, the preserved tablet. That Allah wrote it all in the preserved tablet. And that's mentioned in uh, many ayat of the Quran referring to the writing in the preserved tablet. Allah al mahfuz. Here, Ashraq al-Athameen quotes, وَلَقَدْ كَتَبْنَا فِي الزَّبُورِ مِنْ بَعْدِ الذِّكْرِ أَنَّ الْأَرْضَ يَرِثُهَا عِبَادِيَ الصَّالِحُونَ This is in reference to the uh, writing in the preserved tablet, مِنْ بَعْدِ الذِّكْرِ كَتَبْنَا فِي الزَّبُورِ مِنْ بَعْدِ الذِّكْرِ After the dhikr, after that writing and all of that in the preserved tablet, كُلَّ شَيْءٍ الظَّاهِرِ لِأَنَّهُ لَيْسَ عَلَى عُمُومِهِ لِأَنَّ اللَّهَ قَالَ لِلْقَلَمِ اكْتُبْ مَا هُوَ كَائِنٌ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ فَكَتَبَ الْقَلَمُ مَا هُوَ كَائِنٌ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ وَعَلَى هَذَا يَكُونُ الْمُرَادُ بِالْعَامِ الْخَاصِ أي ما يكون إلى يوم القيامة In the narration it says that Allah wrote down kulla shay, everything. However, even though that phrase indicates a very open and broad and general statement encompassing everything, because it says Allah wrote everything. However, this the Shaykh says appears to be a case of where the generalized term, the open term is used, but there is a specific limit to the meaning intended. 
and the specific limit to the meaning intended is that everything that's going to happen was written down of the things that are going to happen up until the day of judgment because that is what is mentioned in the other narration about the pen in that narration it says very clearly October right everything that's going to happen up until the day of judgment everything that is going to occur up until the day of judgment so all of that decree was written in the preserved tablet 50,000 years before any of this creation was even created but then now that Ramadan is coming and within Ramadan according to the most authentic and established opinion is Laylatul Qadr there are multiple opinions but of course in Ramadan that is what is established Laylatul Qadr is mentioned as the night when the what happens on the night of decree the decree for the year so the decree for the year what does that mean when all of the decree was written down 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth all of it was written down so what's written on the night Laylatul Qadr similarly before you think of an answer in the hadith about the angel being sent to the womb of a mother a pregnant mother the angel is sent to the womb and is commanded to write down decree فَيُؤْمَرُ بِكَتْبِ أَرْبَعِ كَلِمَاتِ بِكَتْبِ رِزْقِهِ وَعَمَلِهِ وَأَجَلِهِ وَشَقِيَّنَ سَعِيدِ أَجَلِهِ How long he's going to live? His rizq, his actions, that is all decree. So the narration says an angel is sent down to write down the decree of that unborn while still in the womb after how many days 120 days into the pregnancy 120 days into the pregnancy four months into the pregnancy the angel is sent to the that the womb of that mother and blows in the soul and then writes down the decree of these affairs how long that child will live what his sustenance will be, what his actions will be, what, from the people of fire or hell, uh, fire or paradise, all of that written down that moment. Decree written down at that moment. But we just said all of the decree was written 50,000 years before creation. So what is the meaning of that decree for every individual at the time of birth or before birth, four months into the pregnancy when the soul is blown in and that decree is written and that's why incidentally the rulings regarding the miscarriage if a woman miscarries before four months then the ruling is what hmm? then it's not there's no funeral prayer and the rights of the muslim deceased do not apply there it's not required for the shrouding, the washing, the burial, the prayer, 
the naming, the aqiqah, none of that is required if the miscarriage occurs before four months. What, though, occurs to what was growing within that mother, especially if it was three months, three and a half months, now there is something of substance. What happens to that then? What do you do with that then if the miscarriage occurs? We've said the Muslim rights don't apply here because no soul has been blown into it yet. No soul has been blown into it yet. So there are no rights to perform upon it yet. But nevertheless there is something physical in that miscarriage. What do you do with it? Bury it. Scholars, they say that you would uh, dispose of it in an honorable manner, in whatever respectful manner that it's disposed of in some respectful manner. Burying it, no problem. Could be that you bury it. In the hospitals, they provide other means, and some of those means, no problem, they could be used. That it is disposed of in some respectful manner. That is all that they say. After four months, though, if the miscarriage occurs, then all of the Muslim rights apply. So now everything applies. Now the soul has been blown in. Now you can name the child. You can do an aqiqah. You can do all of those things. And uh, uh, the, uh, unless the child is, uh, dies early. And nevertheless, still, you would name the child. You would do the prayer. You would do the washing, the shrouding, everything. That is now because the soul has been blown in. But the point was, that decree that is written for the baby in the womb of the mother, the decree that is written on Laylatul Qadr, what is all that and how do we understand all of that? If all of the decree for everything up until the Day of Judgment has already been written. Anyone? So is it anything new written or what, what are you saying? But th that order, what is written at that time, what is that? That is from the original, uh, from the decree. It is not new. What occurs on Laylatul Qadr, the, the decree of the year is the decree of that year which is already written in the preserved tablet. In the womb of the mother, the decree for that unborn yet, what he's going to be, what he's going to live, how he's going to live, all of his life, his deeds, his death, everything, it is already in the Allah al-Mahfuz, but then it is his decree now at the time of his birth or in the process uh, in pregnancy that he is now appointed the decree from that overall decree. So these, the scholars, they say, are in a way subsections of the actual decree. They are not new. It is not like there is new decree that is written for the unborn that wasn't there 50,000 years before the creation. It is not like there is new decree in Ramadan or Laylatul Qadr that wasn't there in the 50,000 years before creation. But then, if that is the case, then what is the purpose of striving all of your life? 
if 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth, everything has been written down what you're going to do in your life. And Allah already knows whether you're in paradise or hell, your place has already been written. So then what is the point? Everything has been done, it's all been written, your place in paradise or hell is already known. So then what is the purpose of all of this striving and worship and obedience if everything's already written and done? Anybody else? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it confusing? Somebody comes and says to you, Everything's been written down. Your place in paradise or hell is already written down. So why are you bothering? What are you going to say? Put your hands up if you go. Put your hands up if you go. Put your hands up if you go. One, two, three, four, five, six. One of the Dawah store brothers has to give us a comprehensive answer right now. A man comes up to you and says, you Muslims believe in the pre-decree, the predetermination, and that everybody's place in paradise or hell is already written. It's done. Your life is already written out what's going to happen in your life. So why are you bothering? Why are you bothering getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning praying Fajr? Why are you staying up till 11 at night praying Isha? Your life, what's going to happen? Paradise or hell? It's already written down. What are you going to say? We? So we don't know, and so we have to strive. Keep that point there. Anybody else? We believe in Qadr, but we also believe in free will. So we have to, we have to take it. So we're not forced to do any evil. And we're not forced to do good. So we have to take it upon ourselves to do the good that will take us to our known destination. Mm-hmm. So, it's all written. Your place in paradise, hell known to Allah already. However, the first key point is, everything is written, your place in paradise or hell is written. Do you know what is written for you firstly? Do you know what has been written for you? Is it paradise or is it hell? Do you know? Do we know? What decree has been written for us? Do we know? Straight away, absolutely not. It's written, yes or no? Yes. Do we know what's written? No, that's one thing. Secondly, do we have free will or choice in our actions? Absolutely. You do not will to do something except that Allah wills it first. We have will. Allah has given us, in the very simplest sense, choice. Allah has given us choice. Now you put those things together. We have free choice. And that is something which is understood and clear. 
We have free choice because everybody recognizes that naturally in of themselves. Even the kafir cannot deny that. That's something recognized that you have free choice. You say to the man, right now, if you wanted to walk away, can you walk away or not? Right now, if you wanted to stand on one leg, can you do it or not? Absolutely, because he can choose to do that or not. He knows he has the freedom and the ability to choose to do something or not. So Allah has given us that free choice. The point is, we have free choice. Allah knows already what choices we are going to make that we are going to make in life and therefore already knows whether our end destination is paradise or hell. Do you know what choices you're going to make yet and what's been written for you yet? You don't. So in that case, you have an option. You can carry on now from this day onwards making the choices of good and then inshallah ta'ala it will be the case that you were written for paradise or you choose to make the choices of evil and then it plays out that you are choosing the evil and end up in hell. The key is that you are the one choosing to make the decisions. When you choose to go and get some alcohol and drink it, you are the one choosing to pick that up and put it to your lip and drink it. Before you do that, did you know that it was decreed for you to drink alcohol that day or not? You don't know yet. You don't know yet. You're only going to know that once you choose to do it and drink it, and then you can say, okay, it was decreed today I was going to drink alcohol. It was. But before you knew it was, who made the choice to do it? Who made the choice to do it? You. You made the choice to do the sin. So now, that's why, in the time of Umar ibn al-Khattab, when a man used to get caught drinking alcohol all the time, and then one day they caught him again, brought him to Umar ibn al-Khattab, Ali, they brought him, caught drinking alcohol, he said, wait, Amir al-Mu'mineen, it's not my fault. It was decreed I was going to drink alcohol. Was it decreed he was going to drink alcohol? Absolutely, it was. He says, look, it was decreed. The fact that I drank alcohol, it was decreed I was going to drink alcohol. Because if it wasn't decreed, he wouldn't have done it. True or false? True. He says it was decreed. It was decreed I was going to drink alcohol, don't blame me. So then Umar ibn al-Khattab gets a whip and says in that case it was also decreed that we're going to whip you today. It was decreed, can't help it, going to have to whip you. The scholars they say you cannot use the decree as an evidence for sins. You missed the prayer, somebody missed the prayer yesterday. Was it decreed they were going to miss the prayer yesterday? It was. 50,000 years before the creation, was it decreed that person X was going to miss a prayer on day X? Decreed. So can that person say, well, what can I do then? Why is that my fault then? It was decreed I was going to miss the prayer yesterday, and I did. How do you respond to them? Yes, it was decreed. 
before you missed it, you sat there relaxing and the time went, before that occurred, did you know it was decreed for you to miss the prayer on that day? You did not. You chose to do that sin, you chose to do it with the choice and will Allah gave you, you chose to do that. Then afterwards, once you chose to do the sin and you did it, now you're sat there saying it was decreed. Before you did it, you didn't know if it was decreed. You chose the evil. So even though everything is decreed, we don't know what is decreed. We don't know whether our place is paradise or hell. We have been given a choice though. So in that case, if you don't know whether it's paradise or hell, you're just going to make sure that every choice you make is leading to paradise. If you make the choices of evil, then you can't say afterwards what it was decreed, it was. But before you did it, you didn't know it was. You chose to do that action of evil. When at a time, at that time, you could have chosen to not do that action of evil. So that is the issue of the choice. Allah has given you intent and choice, ability. Allah already knows what choices you're going to make in life. So the mushrik who lives upon shirk and chooses to die upon shirk, Allah already knows he is going to refrain from accepting Islam and is going to choose to remain upon shirk all of his life and therefore it is known that his place is in hellfire. That mushrik when he's alive though, every day when he reads about Islam and he reads about Tawheed, he is the one who chooses whether to listen and to investigate and read more and learn or to abandon and ignore. He chooses to remain upon that kufr and shirk. We know of course the guidance is from Allah, but that is linked with this choice that Allah has given you the ability to choose right or wrong. So if you choose wrong, don't say it was the decree. It was decreed, but you didn't know that until you did it. So you could have chosen good instead. Hence, when it comes to the decree and somebody says to you, why do you bother if it's all written down? You say, yes, it is all written down, but we don't know what is written down. And therefore, given the choice between good and evil, I've got no choice if you want paradise, but to choose goodness along the path. It will be made easy. Everything will be made easy. for The goodness will be made easy for the one upon that and choosing that and striving upon that. So that is something regarding the decree a person should not confuse. It is not like the people of innovation who say, that everything is decreed and we are like feathers in the wind. We do whatever the decree sends us upon. If that is the case, then a person who ends up in hellfire is oppressed. If he had no choice and he was compelled to walk upon the decree as written for him, then he is oppressed in the hellfire. And the one in paradise has no right for paradise. He's done nothing to deserve it. He was just following the decree. So it isn't like that. Allah knows what's going to happen because Allah knows what choices we're going to make. So Allah knows whether the end result is paradise or hell. We don't yet. 
We've been given choice, so you continue to make the choices of good. That is regarding the decree. That's where we'll round up for today. We've gone over what we uh, agreed to do last week, which was 9.30, but we'll conclude on that for tonight and carry on next week then. Next week, uh, Maghrib is going to be what time now there? Today was what, the Adhan? So 30 or something? So in that case, we should begin at 8 p.m. Otherwise, if you begin after Maghrib, it's going to be 8.50 approximately. It's up to you. It's either 8.50 p.m. We're going to end up starting 8.50 p.m. if you begin after Maghrib and finish off at 9.45 p.m. Or you begin at 8 p.m., break for Maghrib and round off at 10 past quarter past nine. So what is it to be? Eight. 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 We have the definitive word from the office. Eight. Eight o'clock then, inshallah. We'll begin at eight. Half an hour. Break for Maghrib. And then just round it off with another 15, 20 minutes after Maghrib also. And that way you'll finish off by nine, quarter past nine, rather than being late. So be here for 8 p.m. next week, inshallah. Wa sallallahu ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.